Specialty Story, session number 228. You're a non-traditional student entering the medical field on your terms. You may have had some hiccups along the way, but now you're ready to change course and go back and serve others as a physician. This podcast is here to help answer your questions and help educate you on your non-traditional journey to becoming a physician. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm thankful for you to be here. Today is a special episode. Next week, we're going to have a big uh, announcement about the future of Specialty Stories. But today, we are talking to Dr. Mong Lang, a cardiothoracic anesthesiologist and critical care anesthesiologist, about his journey to his specialty. We're going to talk about what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it, and so much more. He's also the fellowship director, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about what he's looking for as a fellowship director as well. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Lang first became interested in his cardiothoracic anesthesiology and critical care medicine world. So, you know, I think I, I, um, I was interested in critical care first mm-hmm. and foremost, um, and, you know, I grew up as uh, I grew up in Burma and I grew up as a son of physicians. And, you know, the thing that really drew me towards medicine was kind of the times where there are really sick people. There's kind of a lot of stress and intensity uh, around my parents when they were practicing in Burma. Um, so so that kind of drew me towards critical care. And in medical school, I kind of went around the cycle, trying to figure out what type of critical care I wanted to do that, you know, surgery, medicine, anesthesia went in circles and eventually settled on anesthesia and then kind of went into anesthesia thinking I'm going to do critical care. Mm-hmm. And then uh, within residency, uh, there was some, uh, and actually before that as well, there was some kind of personal, you know, my dad had a type A dissection and had to have surgery and had then had a redo. And so that kind of, uh, and he's doing well, but you know, okay. that, that kind of, um, really, you know, got my interest in, in cardiac. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing cardiac as a, you know, clinically in, in residency, that really kind of those two things really, um, you know, excited my interest. And so that was where I decided, you know, let's do both. And, and honestly, it was kind of a cop-out answer because I couldn't decide between the two. <laughs> so, so that was, that was the ultimate. And, and there was some kind of mentors and people along the way that, you know, kind of showed me that there was a path in kind of doing those those two specialties and kind of practicing both of them uh, in, in your career. Yeah. So let's let's rewind a little bit and talk about what exactly is the kind of this critical care anesthesia world. Because I think mm-hmm. when someone mentions you, you were going through the the kind of testing during medical school right. and, and figuring out, do I want to do surgery? Do I want to do medicine side, anesthesia mm-hmm. side? When when we talk about kind of critical care anesthesia, they're like, well, are you, are you intubating and then jumping over to the other side and then doing the surgery? Like, what does that look like? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's an interesting, uh, kind of field because, you know, in a way critical care is kind of where patients get to from different paths. You know, they have, it doesn't describe a specific disease or a specific, you know, specialty because it's just when they need the ventilator, when they need kind of active support for whatever their problem is. So 
Um, and, and you can kind of approach it from all different ways. You know, I, I know people who do critical care through neurology, uh, even nephrology, right? Emergency medicine. Um, our fellowship, actually, our ICU fellowship uh, takes uh, residents from both anesthesia and emergency medicine background um, and, you know, surgery, pulmonary and anesthesia. So um, in a way, one way to think about it is, you know, what is your kind of, um, you know, home base? When you're not doing critical care, what are you doing? So that's one thing to, to kind of that I had to consider was, what would I like to do the rest of my time? Because, you know, nobody does critical care full time, you know, as, you know, nine to five or, you know, every single day, right? They have to do something else. It's, I think, unfortunately, I think, burnt, I think you would just get burned out if you yeah. just did critical care all the time. So you kind of need some other kind of uh, area that you practice in. So if you're not doing, if you're not in the ICU, what do you want to do? Do you want to be an anesthesiologist? Do you want to, you know, be in pulmonary and do bronchoscopies and be in clinic? Or do you want to be a surgeon? You know, so um, that that was kind of, um, you know, the decision path uh, for for deciding critical care. Yeah. When, when we talk about cardiothoracic anesthesiology, um, mm-hmm. or, or kind of OB anesthesiology, these subspecialties right. of anesthesiology. I think someone very early on in their training was like, wait a minute, like, why do we need all these different subspecialties? Aren't you all right. doing the same thing? You're at the head of the table, putting patients to sleep and waking right. them up, right? That's, that's all you do. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that is, uh, that is, uh, the, I, I think idea amongst a lot of people, you know, who, who don't practice anesthesia and do it on a regular basis. And it's also a thing that's kind of an evolution because, you know, if you look at probably, you know, 20, 30 years ago, right, uh, most of the, you know, physicians or most of the anesthesiologists doing cardiac anesthesia would not be fellowship trained, Mm -hmm. you know. So it was something that once you do an anesthesia residency, you could do everything, right? You could do OB, you could do PEDS, you could do uh, cardiac. Um, And there there are still people, there certainly are people, you know, probably more in private practice, who do all these specialties without fellowship training. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as with anything in medicine, as you kind of get more and more complex and your, you know, patients and your procedures get more and more involved, that's where, you know, the special, the the subspecialization comes in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think cardiac anesthesia is still evolving because right now we have board certification and transesophageal echo but not in the specialty of cardiac or the subspecialty of cardiac anesthesiology. And um, there was just an announcement by the ABA, American Board of Anesthesiology, that in the next couple of years, there's going to be a board exam. So it's actually, uh, you know, which means more more exams for all of us. (laughs) More uh, money, yay. Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, But it also means, you know, this specialty is kind of evolving as we realize that, you know, you know, the more specialized you get and the more skills you have, you know, one of the things that we do that's kind of different from the general anesthesiologist is transesophageal echo. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, you know, certified by the national board of echo. And so that really changes the way you practice anesthesia in that you're able to help, you know, diagnose what's going on, um, not only in just cardiac procedures, but in, but in other, you know, anesthesia cases as well uh, during surgeries. Yeah, I, I think that's the one that uh, always sticks out for for cardiac yeah. anesthesia is that TEE, and it's really right. a really different um, participation in the OR. It seems like, mm-hmm. uh, which right. is which is awesome. What is right. uh, what is like the biggest misconception around either critical care anesthesia, or cardiac anesthesia that you're constantly fighting among among residents? You know, I think it's it's the 
Well, I think there's kind of two levels. One is that, you know, th- for those outside of anesthesia, you know, there is this, um, I think, misconception in general that anesthesia is kind of like the easy path to, you know, to have a stable like seven to three job, not take much call, you know, compensated well. It's kind of like this, you know, kind of lifestyle fa- uh, specialty. And then, but within within ICU and cardiac, it, it you know, I certainly don't feel like that's the case. You know, um, I think you you can make yourself, um, it, you know, be in a situation or be in a practice where you're working more, you're dealing with really sick patients, and you're kind of very involved, and you know, um, it's rewarding in an intellectual level as well. You know, and that's I think from those like kind of outside of anesthesia, that's probably the biggest misconception there is. And then within anesthesia, there is this, I think, um, I guess, bias within the anesthesia residents that cardiac and ICU are too hard. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, so it's kind of like the opposite. You know, everyone thinks, you know, it's not hard enough. And then within anesthesia, it's something that people kind of shy away from, maybe because, you know, there is some, you know, conception coming in that it's going to be, you know, a more kind of lifestyle friendly specialty. Mm. Yeah, so so not too hard from a knowledge standpoint, but too hard from a lifestyle standpoint. Uh, potentially, yeah. yeah. But but also, you know, I think it also depends on kind of the, I think the problem with these misconceptions that you can make your practice whatever you want it to yeah. be, right? I think that's the big thing about anesthesia and, and I'm sure with other specialties as well. But I think one of the things that I found really special in anesthesia is that if you want to work in an academic center and, you know, be really engaged academically and have, you know, a busy practice, that's possible. You know, if you want to do even, you know, even with cardiac, if you want to do cardiac and then go into private practice and have a, you know, reasonable lifestyle and kind of enjoy what you do, but also have time for other things Mm -hmm. that's possible. So there's, you know, there's no, not one mold for, for cardiac, you know, anesthesia. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that because there are some specialties that really, uh, focus in on the academic world where you really can't find mm-hmm. it out in the community because it's just there's not enough or it's it's too specialized. But it sounds like cardiac and, and critical care, maybe anesthesia, they they are out in the community. You don't have to be in an academic center. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think cardiac more than critical care. Okay. I think um, critical care is still kind of undergoing an evolution as far as how it looks within um, the the private practice world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of it has to do with kind of, um, you know, I think having an infrastructure for billing and practice where most of your partners are doing cases in the operating room and and that's the model. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to kind of figure out a model where you're doing something really completely different. And, and I think in, in academics, that's been kind of established long enough that that model exists, but in private practice, it may be a little bit harder. So for critical care, that's definitely a little bit more challenging. Uh, but for cardiac, yeah, absolutely. You can be in a private group or, or in academics. Mm, interesting. Okay. What do you think is the, the most important trait someone has to be a good cardiac anesthesiologist or, or critical care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the, the traits that, that are important are, you know, it, within cardiac and critical care, it's, it's a rapidly changing environment, you know. Patients are, you know, their physiology is changing, they're um, depending on what, you know, illness they have. And, and also a lot of the procedures we do are kind of urgent, emergent things. You know, someone comes in with a type A dissection, someone comes in with a, you know, in cardiogenic shock and you're taking care of these patients. So you kind of have to think on your feet. You have to kind of digest a lot of information. Uh, there's often, especially in, in, the, in the critical care world, 
there's often you know information overload. You get a, a ton of numbers from all these invasive machines and monitors, and you really have to digest all of it down really relatively quickly to figure out what's going on. And, and kind of being able to think on your feet and being able to kind of roll with the punches, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, I will be assigned a case, um, you know, the night before I, I learn about the patient, kind of come with a plan. I go in the morning and there's a heart transplant going on. So on someone that I, you know, have never read about, right? So it's something being able to kind of think on your feet and, and respond uh, kind of quickly to changing environments is really one of the big things uh, about being in, in this specialty. Yeah. As as a fellowship uh, director, when you're looking at applicants, when you're looking at the residents coming in, mm-hmm. what are you looking for to make sure they're good fits both for this, the subspecialty and for uh, your specific program? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the thing I look uh, the most in residents, or in, I guess in residents trying to be in fellowship, is um, that they have to be genuinely interested in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, I can. I can talk hours and hours and hours about cardiac physiology and echo. <laughs> and, and those are things that really interest me. And, and I want to be talking with someone that have kind of a similar interest in that, you know, um, in, in fellowship, um, you know, and, and within our fellowship as, as well, um, you know, fellows spend a decent amount of time, you know, it, it's certainly, you know, it's not a, like, it's not a nine to five fellowship, you know, there are cases where people come in, and, you know, emergencies happen. Right. And, and, and so we're kind of rolled, you know, as I said before, kind of rolling with the punches. And so, you know, to be, to have someone who's engaged and kind of interested and really be passionate about what they're learning and what they're, you know, taking care of is really important because, you know, it, it, sometimes we're up in the middle of the night doing these things and, you know, you want to be with someone who is also as excited as, you know, you are, or at least not have kind of this really negative attitude, be like, why am I here? I don't want to do this. You know, it really brings the whole energy of the room down if if that's the case. Yeah. Why would someone apply if they weren't passionate about it? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think sometimes, uh, I think people kind of, you know, I think they, they see the instances where, um, you know, their role models or people that they look up to, you know, who are cardiac, they kind of see what the skills that they offer with echo being able to take care of these, you know, complicated sick patients and they want to do that, but then they don't realize, you know, all the kind of groundwork that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so as you were going through your training, uh, as, as a anesthesiologist and you're thinking about critical care, thinking about cardiac, all this fun stuff, were, was there any other subspecialty that you're like, oh man, I, I think that is actually cooler than this? You know, I as I was in medical school, I kind of went in went everywhere as far as trying to figure out what specialty I wanted to. At one point, I wanted to do neurosurgery and ENT, <laughs> and it was it was kind of all over. And and honestly, I think what I realized was I, I really you know enjoyed being on the other side of the drapes where I'm, you know thinking about the physiology and thinking about the pharmacology and, and, and those things rather than the surgical side, I really enjoyed the surgical side, but it was something where I realized, you know, I I had other interests as well. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. That's good uh, to go explore and and figure out what you want. So what is, what does a typical day look like for you? So it, it kind of, um, I think it might make more sense to kind of step back a little bit because sometimes 
my days in the um, in the operating room as a cardiac anesthesiologist or a general anesthesiologist are totally different from my days in the ICU. So the way that a lot of practices have it set up and, and same as mine is that we do certain amount of time in the ICU. So we do about a week a month or so in the ICU and the rest of the time in the operating room. In the operating room, I come in, uh, you know, cases start at 7.30. I'm supervising residents, so I don't have to show up an hour early to, you know, drop IVs and things like that. But if you're, um, if you're in practice by yourself, you're gonna spend a little bit of time, you know, preparing the room. And then, you know, we interview the patient, induce induction, um, get all the lines ready, and then procedure starts, we do our echo. Um, and then by the time we're kind of done with that, we're ready to kind of close to going on bypass. And then, you know, during the bypass phase is a little bit of a lull for us. And then coming off bypass, we have to kind of evaluate what's going on, um, you know, change our ph pharmacology medications that we're giving, and then, you know, get them off bypass, make sure they're stable, resuscitate and then take them over to the ICU after that. So, you know, that can last majority of the day, depending on how, you know, who, who the surgeons you're working with and kind of the, the type of patients you're taking care of. Um, and then a lot of times we'll not have a second round case. And if you're, you know, if we're on call, you'll kind of be stuck doing the same thing for another time. And that'll be, that'll be most of the day for, for your cardiac days hmm. in the ICU. You know, you come in round, uh, usually there's, again, a little bit of a lull in the, in the kind of late morning until the cases start rolling in. And then you're kind of managing those patients, uh, making sure they're doing okay, kind of in the next, you know, six hours immediately after surgery is where they're kind of most unstable. And, and then kind of, you know, dealing with other things throughout the night. Usually we're on call at night, you know, for on home call. So we're answering, uh, you know, questions and things like that as well. Yeah. How big are the typical fellowship programs for, for the fellows to, to know how mm -hmm. often are they going to be <laughs> on call working overnight? Right. Right. Um, you know, our fellowship in, at Colorado, we have three fellows a year and that's probably on the small to medium sized end of things. Uh, you know, there are smaller programs of one to two fellows, uh, where I did fellowship, which is at Columbia, we had at the time six fellows. And so that's probably between, you know, one to 10, is kind of the, the average. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think there are kind of pluses and minuses to each one. You know, the bigger the fellowship meaning usually means that it's a bigger program. So you kind of get a larger kind of variety in terms of num just in numbers as well and, and see different surgeons and different anesthesiologists and see how they do. Um, the advantage of a smaller program like ours is that you get to know the faculty really, really well. So you get to kind of work with the same people day in and day out, which I think allows, you know, kind of a better or a kind of a more uh, closer relationship with the fellows and the faculty. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that helps in, in uh, learning a lot as well. Yeah, that's awesome. What does the, the training path look like? So four years of medical school and then mm -hmm. what? Yeah, so four, four years of medical school and then four years of anesthesia residency. And then at the end, you know, you get to it, most of the anesthesia fellowships are one year. And that's kind of the one advantage of trying to do the, the the two specialties is that, you know, to me, it's like, well, you know, one year of ICU, one year of cardiac, mm -hmm. um, you end up with six years, which is, you know, kind of a par for most medical subspecialties, right? So, um, so that was kind of, uh, that's kind of the traditional pathway. 
Uh, occasionally, we'll have fellows who want to do a research year or kind of have interest in research that will kind of fit those in as well. Yeah. And so when you say just just for someone listening, when you say par for medical specialties, it's like three years internal medicine, three years cardiology or it's six years. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's six years for the whole even for the dual fellowship. And, and you know, most people in, in anesthesia do one fellowship. So they end up with five years total. OK, interesting. You just like this so much. I want to keep learning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put exactly. off that payday a little bit longer. <laughs> That's right. Um, so. Talk about um, the procedure side of anesthesiology. If someone is a little bit unsure about procedures, unsure about their hand-eye coordination, is anesthesia yeah. a good specialty for them? Can they learn that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. That's that's a good question. You know, I think uh, I think within medical ed- education, you know, we don't have good kind of randomized control of like how teachable people are, right? So. Yeah. So it's kind of a uh, kind of an interesting question. Um, I certainly think you know any procedure you know can be taught and and you know within the scope of what we do. Um, I think I think it's very reasonable. I think we see a lot of different residents. You know when people come in, you know there are residents who come in and they you know look like they're ready to go. You know they they kind of have everything together. They're ready. They you know they just get it from the get go, you know, and that's great. You know, if you're one of those good for you, that's great. <laughs> you know, um, and there are people who struggle, but I think what's more interesting is that even in the group that struggles, you know, a vast majority of them are able to pick up what needs to be picked up mm. to, to be really proficient. And then, you know, when you're out in practice, it's not necessarily about, you know, how good of a, you know, proceduralist you are. I think a lot of times in medical school, we kind of perseverate on, on that maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's, it has a lot to, a lot, a lot more to do with how you think, right. Mm-hmm. And how you act rather than being able to do X procedure or not. You know, I think all of us attain some level of proficiency that is more than adequate. Mm. Yeah. More than adequate. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what the patients yeah. want to know. More more than adequate. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, talking about uh, being on call, emergencies happen. Obviously, with critical mm-hmm. care, with um, cardiac anesthesiology, the the heart doesn't know that it's the middle of the night when it decides to right. to, to right. not want to work anymore. Uh, what does that work life balance look like for you, if there's such thing? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's um, it's one of those things that you know I think it's hard to appreciate when you're in medical school, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, most I, I don't I don't know if I should generalize, but you know, most of us don't have or aren't further along in life with you know what uh, spouses and kids and things like that, mm-hmm. and and so you don't think about all the other things that come with you know what it means if you're up in the middle of the night or if you're gone on weekends or things like that, right? Um, and, and those things do add up, right? But I think part of the, uh, I don't know, part of the appeal of anesthesiology is that you can, you know, keep kind of that level of, you know, volume if you want, and you can choose to taper down or, or switch or do whatever you want uh, to make it work. So, so I think, um, you know, in the first, you know, um, five, you know, seven years of my career, or, um, you know, I, I really focused on learning all the skills that I wanted to learn. Right. Um, and, and then as, uh, as I kind of felt more comfortable being in the attending role and, and being in the, that role, 
you realize, well, what are things that'll help me with longevity? Mm-hmm. You know, what are things that'll make my life and my my family life work? And and I would say, you know, I am able to kind of adjust that as needed. You know, obviously that may not be the same at all kind of uh, you know types of jobs that you're at, but I think most anesthesia jobs you're able to tailor that as you need. Yeah. Um. For the osteopathic student or or maybe mm-hmm. resident listening to this, do they have to do anything to overcome any sort of negative bias out there? Yeah, I think um, I think you know, in a way, it's kind of the same things that I would look for in a in a in any candidate, which is you know, you know what I said earlier about having genuine interest, and that may kind of um, show up as a you know academic projects extracurricular activities that are focused towards cardiac anesthesia. So um, for, for any sort of candidate, but, but especially one where you feel like, you know, on paper, your CV may not be, um, you know, um, as appealing, uh, you, you may want to consider, you know, looking at, you know, getting into academic projects with, you know, cardiac faculty to kind of really show how much of an interest you have. Mm. Okay. So, Let's talk about uh, what the what the future holds. What what uh, yeah. is changing out there in the the cardiac anesthesia critical care world that that someone coming up through training now should be aware of? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting. That's certainly an interesting question. You know, if you divide the two specialties up mm. um, within critical care, there is actually a massive need for critical care physicians. Um, especially, you know, obviously in the era of COVID and, you know, kind of this massive critical care need within um, the, the, wor- the, you know, the U.S. and the world, mm-hmm. um, there's certainly a need for critical care physicians. And at the same time, fellowships are not as competitive as cardiac fellowships. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the adverse is true for cardiac fellowships. Um, cardiac anesthesia as a, a specialty is very popular and very um, competitive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but when those um, fellows go into practice, you know, the cardiac specific jobs are, again, right now, not as prevalent. You know, part of it may be kind of the mismatch in training of, you know, fellows versus jobs available. The other part is this kind of continued trend in, um, you know, cardiac surgery and, and kind of uh, the more kind of non-invasive and interventional cardiology procedures that are able to provide similar things, you know, outside of, you know, and not need surgery and not need cardiac anesthesia. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, um, some of the roles of cardiac anesthesiologists have changed. You know, um, a good part of our job also entails not just the, you know, open cardiac procedures in, in the operating room, but also things in the EP lab, cath lab, and things like that, where we're taking care of, you know, similar patients, but having less kind of invasive um, interventional procedures. Yeah. What do you like the most about your job? Um, you know, in my role, you know, especially a program director, I really, you know, like before I, you know, I said before, I really like nerding out about <laughs> cardiac anesthesia and cardiac physiology. And so I have a captive audience. <laughs> so I, I'm, uh, you know, being able to, to, you know, teach, someone, you know, either, you know, we have medical students as well as residents and fellows. And, you know, so 
the first time a fellows see something that, you know, for their level, you kind of have to adjust what you're teaching. And then you have a medical student seeing, you know, a bypass surgery for the first time and being able to teach everyone at different levels, kind of different things and, and really showing uh, them, you know, what's interesting and what's exciting about the field is, is really probably the most um, kind of rewarding part of this job. What do you like the least? Um, you know, hours are, are, are one thing, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, like the emergencies in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think the other part that I didn't appreciate earlier in my career is that, you know, this specialty kind of forces you to be on kind of constant alert. You know, you're always responding to things. And, and that's what I like about it. But at the same time, you know, when you, when you go a decade of doing that, it really, you know, I think you really have to focus on your mental health and being able to tune out and have, you know, kind of resources that are available for you to um, really make sure that you're not overstressed and over anxious because of the environment you're in, you know, so being able to, um, you know, tune those things out when, when it's time, when it's appropriate. And, and I think maybe knowing that a little bit more before going to the, into the specialty, mm-hmm. uh, kind of helps you prepare and gives you a little perspective. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a cardiac anesthesiologist? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For the, the student or resident listening to this, thinking about cardiac anesthesia or critical care anesthesia, what kind of final words of wisdom do you have for them? I, I think, you know, um, it, it's a field that not, you know, you don't get a huge exposure during medical school or even before. So if you have any sort of interest, you know, if this conversation, you know, kind of piqued any interest in you at all, go find a mentor at your, at your local hospital or a medical school and go find someone that'll, you know, be willing to, you know, have you come along, see what these cases are like, because that's, you know, in a way it sells for itself. You know, I think once you get, once, you know, I stepped foot in the cardiac room and kind of saw what was going on and what we did. It, it really, you know, it was really clear that that's what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, go out there and do that. And, and yeah, you'll, you'll probably know if it's right for you or not. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Mong Lang, cardiothoracic anesthesiologist, critical care anesthesiologist talking about his journey, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and hopefully opened your eyes to this world. If you're looking for some more information, go do a quick Google search. How I always look for this is go look for the societies, the medical societies that are attached to each of these specialties. That is the best place to go find potentially some mentors, find out when they're holding conferences that you may be able to get to. And usually students can can try to find some scholarships that are available to go to these society meetings as well. Hope you have a great week. I hope this episode was good for you. And again, next week, we'll have a big announcement here on Specialty Stories. We'll see you soon. This is MedEd Media.